This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, big hour coming your way. We know there's a lot going on in your uh, life, all affected by what's going on with our economy and around the world. Clay Travis, a rare visit in studio. He'll be here, Outkick founder and one half of Clay and Buck, celebrating their one-year anniversary since replacing this guy named Rush Limbaugh. He'll be here live. We're going to talk a little bit, a uh, little sports and so much more. Uh, and then Ron McDaniel on the impact of the primary season to date, including what happened last night. And one 408 7669 If you want to write me, BrianKilmeadeShow.com. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. To me, what they represent is capitalism. Look, the Live Tour is offering them more money. The PGA can't compete. I don't begrudge them taking that opportunity. They're still going to be able, theoretically, to play in the majors. And this Live Tour versus PGA battle, to me, is one of the more intriguing in the world of sports. Sports, that's it. Saudi sports washing. The live tour and hypocrisy. I'm not a fan of the government, the Saudi government, but Phil Mickelson should not be taking the fall unless, uh, because he decided to sign up with the live tour, unless you bring in LeBron, the PGA, FIFA, which is the world soccer body, and our government, bring them all down with them. They all do business with evil regimes without paying any price. Why should Phil Mickelson pay a price or anyone else? Number two. She's a Republican. She's a conservative. They tried to tie her as an ultra-MAGA, right-wing extremist. And, of course, they're going to call her a sexist and a racist. Her name is Myra Flores. Those two words alone tell you everything you need to know about 2022 and the big red rape coming. Yes, uh, another impactful, intriguing primary day. Trump's impact felt from Texas to South Carolina to Nevada. We're going to look at his record and the stunning flip in Texas. Number one. Problem is, <laughs> Republicans in Congress are doing everything they can to stop my plans to bring down costs on ordinary families. That's why my plan is not finished and why the results aren't finished either. Jobs are back. <laughs> prices are still too high. Yeah, that's the president. So inspirational. Uh, his term is in free fall, especially as it relates to the economy. He takes to the mic to throw shade everywhere, specifically at Trump and the GOP. And breaking this morning, Biden sent a letter to the heads of seven oil companies threatening to use emergency powers if they don't increase output at refineries. I'll break it all down. And unbelievable uh, for him to do this. So I'm reading the letter, and they're all the same. Uh, so I'm reading one of them. He basically says, listen, oil was $120 a barrel and gas was $425. What's the problem? The problem is we haven't built a refinery since the 70s. Uh, the problem is we don't have any more refinery capacity. So 
He brings up the fact that every time he's on stage, he brings up Vladimir Putin, the Putin price hike. He writes in this letter, there's no question that Vladimir Putin is principally responsible for the intense financial pain the American people and their families are bearing. That is not true, as usual. But amid a war that has raised gasoline prices, $1.70, historically high refinery profit margins are worsening the pain. So he says, I'll threaten to use the Defense Production Act if you don't refine more oil and gas. Now, it is incumbent on the oil and gas companies to fire back. Because he's talking about that they're charging too much trying to make a profit. Fact, they are been told for the last six years, stop investing in fossil fuels. So Blackstone and all these other major investment firms aren't. So they're not able to keep up. When the pandemic hit, you had these huge tankers just laying out there in the Pacific, Indian, uh, the Atlantic Oceans. They couldn't even pull to port, losing a ton of money because nobody was using oil and gas. Because we were all told just to go home. And now you want the oil and gas industry to ramp up because you're getting pounded in the polls. Incredible to me. Making them the enemy. Making Wall Street the bad guys. Here's the president yesterday. Cut one. Since I took office to your help, families are carrying less debt nationwide. They have more savings nationwide. I don't want to hear any more of these lies about reckless spending. We're changing people's lives. And in my plan for the economy, we've made extraordinary progress. And we put America in a position to tackle a worldwide problem that's worse everywhere but here. Uh, he's just so out of his mind. He talks about inflation being high, but it's high everywhere. No, it's lower in the Eurozone. It's lower in South Korea. It's lower in Australia, Canada, France, Germany, Japan, of lower inflation, China, Saudi Arabia, I might have mentioned, Israel, all have lower inflation. Why is that? Because the president pumped all kinds of money into the economy when he didn't need it. As Larry Summers has said, and we keep quoting, we didn't need the rescue plan. He gave a whole bunch of extensions on unemployment insurance. He gave everybody more stimulus checks. And they all stayed home. And he wrote a check on our do- on a, from our checkbook at $1.9 trillion. He had no offsets for this money. He put it in there. Then he had the infrastructure bipartisan bill. It's got some positive qualities. No offsets. Another $256 billion to the deficit. And now he's about to add more to the deficit and more to our debt by forgiving student loans to a degree. All or some. He created 8 million jobs. Are you kidding? We know you told every, uh, we, they were, everybody was told to stay home. Only 15% of the workforce was working. Unemployment was at 14.6%. The fact that it was already coming down doesn't mean you created those jobs. It means people were actually going back to work. It would have happened a lot quicker had you not uh, the, all the extensions uh, with uh, all, the, all the extensions on the unemployment insurance and uh, disability and everything like that. Cut five. Republicans like to portray me as some kind of big spender. We have spent a lot of money. But let's compare the facts. Under my predecessor... The deficit exploded, raising, rising every single year, and all of the benefit going to the top 1%, basically. Under my plan, last year, we cut the deficit by $350 billion. Because through quantitative easing and between the stimulus that was written, over $6 trillion, 
of course there was a bigger deficit. And when you stop the quantitative easing and when you stop printing money, because thankfully Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema stood up and said, we're not putting $5 trillion into Build Back Better. We're not even doing $2 trillion. The deficit came down because we were no longer spending in emergency fashion thanks to the China virus that you don't want investigated. Investment fund managers now look at the economy, said over the next year, 83% expect sluggish growth. 73% expect a weaker economy over the next 12 months. And then there's people who are no holds bars, pull no punches. Uh, Peter Schiff, who says, hello, recession, cut eight. The Fed is so far behind the curve, it can't even see it. You know, we actually have to get interest rates above the rate of inflation. We need positive real interest rates. But thanks to the Federal Reserve, everybody has so much debt that we can't afford to pay an interest rate high enough to fight inflation. But it is going to be high enough to cause a massive recession and another financial crisis that's worse than the one we had in 2008. Yeah, Mr. President, you have affected everybody's lives, almost all of it for the better. Uh, for the worse. I wish it was for the better. I'm not even sure you wanted it to be for the better because you have this goal of green technology, green energy, but it's not there. It's not ready. John Kerry speaking, maybe what's on your mind by saying that landing in his private jet somewhere, or if he's not out in his yacht or windsurfing, he's saying how great it is that we're going to be switching to a clean economy. News for you. We're not there yet. Gas prices up 106% year to year. You can't tell me that doesn't affect everybody listening. So I don't want to take any time away from Ron and McDaniel. We'll go over, McDaniel, to RNC chair. We're going to go over last night uh, in South Carolina and Texas and Nevada. And then, of course, next week we'll be in Virginia. I actually might be there. Ron and McDaniel next. You'll listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Well, it shows that hard work, honesty, sticking true to your principles and your values, and hustling. Uh, We pulled out a win last night. It was decisive by eight points. It was an exciting night. But it just proved you can have this dream. You can set some goals. You can work hard. And you can achieve it. 
no matter what. And that's something the Citadel taught me was overcoming obstacles, overcoming challenges, overcoming any adversity that's been thrown my way in life. I've had a lot of second chances, and I've learned from those second chances, and it was an awesome night last night. Well, that is uh, Nancy Mace, obviously happy after uh, her challenge. Arrington gave her uh, quite a run, but she ends up prevailing, despite the fact that Donald Trump came out against her. So, But he did come out and, and congratulate her after. So after she won, uh, she said this. And by the way, Nikki Haley endorsed uh, Nancy Mace. Said from President Donald J. Trump, Katie Harrington, Arrington was a long shot. She ran a great race and way overperformed. Congrats to Nancy Mace, who should easily be able to defeat the Democratic opponent. Joining us now is Ronna McDaniel, uh, RNC chair. Uh, Ronna, welcome back. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me, Brian. Were you surprised that uh, Nancy Mace overcame a push by uh, Donald Trump and retained her seat? The polls were showing her ahead all along, and I, I think the power of incumbency makes a difference. And Nancy is right. She's a hustler. Yeah, I've had her on my podcast. I mean, she's ha- she has an amazing story of dropping out of high school, working at the Waffle House, being the first woman to uh, to enter the Citadel. And she worked incredibly hard. And I think President Trump uh, endorsing her and saying good luck after the fact and, and being magnanimous. Uh, bodes well for her success in in the fall as well. Well, that's interesting. The other person not nearly as uh, fortunate is Tom Rice, the incumbent of South Carolina. He was uh, hammered, uh, hammered by Russell Fry. He lost by 25 points. Tom Rice voted for impeachment. Your your view? Yeah, I think there's a difference. I mean, Nancy Mace didn't run against Trump during her whole primary. Tom Rice did. He voted for impeachment, but then he talked about it the whole time as he was running in this primary. And I think Republicans didn't want to hear that. And Russell Fry uh, did a great campaign and, and pulled off the victory. Let's, let's talk about something that's really intriguing. It's got to really rattle Democrats. In South Texas, Myra Flores flipped that seat to a Republican. A Mexican-born uh, Republican Wins in an area that's 84% Democrat, that uh, the Democrat took with 84% of the vote last time. What do you take from this? It's huge, and it's a precursor of things that we think are to come in Hispanic communities across the country. Brian, in 2021, we won a McAllen mayor's race in, in the same area, the Rio Grande Valley, with Hidalgo County being a key county that put us over the edge. The RNC has had a community center in the Rio Grande Valley in McAllen for over a year. That's where Myra Flores had her headquarters, and a lot of her work was being done out of there. She was a fantastic candidate. Her husband's a border agent. She ran on conservative values, and she pulled off the victory. Hidalgo was a big part of it. She won a county called Cameron County. We were watching it all night. We never expected her to win that county. It usually goes for the Democrats by double digits. Uh, And the early voting was heavy Democrat. And it means that Democrats crossed over and voted Republican. Democrats should be very, very worried about what we're seeing with Hispanic voters. And it, it, it makes sense because Republicans stand for freedom of speech, freedom of religion, hard work good education, and these are things, especially in this economy right now with inflation and high gas, that are really resonating with Hispanic voters across the country. Very interesting. Uh, There's so much uh, to go on. Um, If you want to see a seat flip in uh, for Republicans in the Senate, it might be Nevada. Adam Laxalt in Reno, uh, he ends up winning. Are you convinced that he gives you, the Republicans, the best shot? 
I do. You know, Adam has statewide name ID. He was the attorney general in Nevada. And we're seeing a shift in Nevada. We also have three very competitive House races there. So uh, if we win those three, that's three of the five we need to take back the House. Adam is one that we need to take back the Senate. We only need one to take back the Senate. And, of course, we have a really great gubernatorial candidate in Sheriff Lombardo. Uh, so Nevada looks really good. Nevada is a tough state right now because all their ballots this cycle was were mail ballots. It's the first time that's ever happened. So that's going to put us um, in a situation where we have to do a lot of work in November to make sure we get those ballots returned uh, uh, for the general. Yeah, I think that would be uh, – I think that would be incumbent – uh, the January 6th trial, uh, what we're watching, how how do you think it's affecting the outcome of these primaries and maybe the general? Not at all. Uh, people already have their opinions about January 6th. It, it happened a year and a half ago. Uh, first of all, we all know the violence at the Capitol was deplorable. We hate it. I'm going to use a Hillary Clinton word there. Um, we, we don't agree with that. Um, and there's going to be law enforcement. Law enforcement's taking action on those individuals. But this is a, a, a circus. They don't have minority representation. The Republicans weren't allowed to appoint their members to this committee, which has never happened in the history of the Congress. And then to put it in prime time when we have a baby formula shortage, when we have gas prices at $5, we have inflation now at 8.6. Uh, it shows that the Democrats, even though they have the Senate, the House, and the White House aren't interested in doing anything for the American people. This is just lights, camera, distraction, and people are staying through it. So the other big story, yet the bipartisan infrastructure deal was done despite the president. Most Republicans didn't sign up for it, but 10 did. And now you have this gun legislation that Mitch McConnell told Corning, go in there and work something out. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff left out. There's a lot of stuff that is in. Gun owners really don't want any limitations. Here's what Senator Mitch McConnell said about the outline that came forward, cut 32. Senator Cornyn, who, as you know, I asked to be the point person on our side to see if we could come to an outcome uh, after these horrible school shootings. And his uh, teammates indicated, as you have reported, a coming together behind a framework which hopefully can be turned into legislative language and passed. For myself, I'm comfortable with the framework, and if the legislation ends up (coughs) reflecting what the framework uh, indicates. So uh, he talks so slow, we don't have that much time, but you know, (laughs) he's supportive of it, Rana. Are are you from what you've seen? Yeah, I don't love getting into policy before I see the, the final thing, and that's not what the RNC does. But what I will say is, the things that I am seeing, uh, I think are the Republican voters will very much support, like uh, shoring up the schools, getting more security at the schools, uh, things for mental health that we know we have a mental health pandemic, especially with teenage boys right now coming at this pandemic. Tons of kids have mental health issues because they were locked up for two years and the isolation and other issues that we know kids are dealing with. So I think... Uh, I've talked to a lot of Republican right. senators who told me they feel comfortable with it, but we have to see the final product before we say anything definitive. So when when you look at the president's term, I think he lost 13 races, over 100 wins, many of which, some of, a lot of which were just incumbents or like Tim Scott running unopposed. But what do you think of that record? What does it tell people is the power of the president to this point for the primary season? I think it's a tremendous power because there's nobody on either side of the aisle that can go into a race and just change it through an endorsement besides Donald Trump. You look at J.D. Vance, you look at Mehmet Oz, 
uh, uh, you look at Ted Budd. Ted Budd had a very competitive primary against Pat McCrory. I don't think there's anybody else who has that type of sway, and it shows uh, the power of Donald Trump. I do think incumbents have been able to withhold that if he's endorsed against an incumbent. Um, but the bottom line is he's going to be a critical factor in turning out the vote for November, and we need him to help make sure we take back the House and the Senate. Ronna McDaniel, RNC chair. Thanks so much, Ronna. Big night last night. Thanks for getting up early with us. Thanks, Brian. All right. Uh, hey, is this Saudi sports washing? How do you feel about it? Clay Travis, live in studio. Outkick founder. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. I respect and I understand their opinions, and I understand that they have um, strong feelings and strong emotions regarding this choice. And I certainly respect them. Respect that. Uh, I respect that. That was a rattled Phil Mickelson uh, dealing with the aftermath of him deciding to play in the Live Tour. First stop was in London. Welcome back, everyone. This is Brian Kilmeade. If you're smart enough to be watching Fox Nation, you see Clay Travis, familiar face uh, here on the network. Uh, He's with the channel and also the founder of OutKick, which is part of the Fox family now. And I actually had a chance to see OutKick set up at the USFL. I was in Birmingham over the weekend. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I saw that you guys are rolling. Got a chance to see uh, Gary Schreier, who was talking about how you guys are rolling out major programming. Yes. And I want to talk about that. But just on this, Clay, it was so fortuitous for us you here. I'm I'm fascinated by the backlash that Phil Mickelson's getting uh, because he decided to go to the Saudi back league. Are you? I'm not surprised that there's a backlash because this all started when Phil Mickelson spoke out and let it be known that he was aware of what had happened with the Washington Post reporter with the pariah state, as it were. Yes, that's right. Uh, That entire storyline. And so it made him an easy target because sometimes athletes can just play dumb and say, hey, I'm not a geopolitical expert, and it allows them to avoid a little bit of criticism. Uh, But in the context in which most sports media have covered most sports-related controversies involving foreign affairs, this did surprise me. Uh, And let me explain why. The NBA certainly has been the wokest of woke sports leagues in the United States. Slogans on the jerseys. Uh, the decisions to not stand for the national anthem, outspoken coaches, players, everybody on a variety of different political issues, all from a left-wing perspective. Yet China, which uh, is a multi-billion dollar partner of the NBA, rejects and repudiates basic human rights, as you well know, with what's going on in Xinjiang province, with what's going on with the Uyghurs. And almost no one in the NBA media will even raise this as an issue. 
And so the precedent that had been set was we're not really going to grill anybody. And then Phil Mickelson kind of stepped in it with that quote. And from there, everybody else has been attacked. Now, my big theory that I have shared that I believe is going on here is I think the PGA Tour is using the media to do their dirty work. So they want to go after the Live Tour as a competitor. They see the biggest attack angle as being the Saudi connection. And so they are constantly feeding all of these American news media and international news media as well negative stories and that's leading to fairly confrontational press conferences as each of these guys join. I do think it fades quickly because how long can you ask them about these questions? Sooner or later, everybody kind of reacts like Brooks Kepka did. Uh, I don't know if you saw this. He hasn't left for the Live Tour, but the U.S. Open is going on. And he kind of threw up his hand. He said, guys, I'm, I'm tired of talking about this. Yeah. And I think that's where most golf fans and certainly sports fans are right now. Well, Roy McElroy fueled it over the weekend. He wins his yeah. tournament in Canada. It's his 22nd tournament going ahead of Greg Norman, who founded it. Yeah, the I have enough that. money in yeah. my life to retire now. I, I'm not all about money. I talked to my wife about that. But I think there's something about uh, Mickelson. But just to qualify this even further, listen, I, I was on the air in 9-11. No one has to explain to me radical yep. Islam. I get it. If you're at Fox and don't understand bin Laden, ISIS, uh, everybody that was in Zarqawi, everybody that was linked to Saudi Arabia and other nations around there, you'd have to be living under a rock or be totally disinterested. So the 9-11 families came out to condemn it. But I would say this, um, and by the way, I know uh, so many of these 9-11 families that become staples in and around Fox in this building, and you'll find that as we come up on the anniversary this year or marking the, uh, the devastating attack. We combined with Saudi Arabia on the Abraham Accords. We yep. gave them missile defense to protect them against Iran. We are working with them and now begging them next month in two weeks, perhaps, in July, to pump more oil we have relations with them as it relates to we provide them protection against Yemeni rockets that come in from the Houthi rebels. We have uh, we've been dating. We've been dealing with them and their, uh, I think, uh, many term, many ways, abhorrent regime since FDR. Yeah. So why is this your line in the sand? Well, I think that's a fantastic question. And also, why is the sports media holding golfers to a higher and more aggressive standard than Joe Biden himself is being held to, right? I mean, yeah. he called, called Saudi Arabia a pariah state. If the media is going to go after someone, then I think Joe Biden would be the one to for, focus all your ire on, not as much golfers who, as we said earlier, are certainly not geopolitical experts when it comes to international affairs and relations. Clay, I did not know this until uh, some of this research has been dug up late to find out the relevance. But do you know the PGA, PGA told their golfers to go along to the Saudi International Tournament as long as they came back and played in the AT&T yeah. Beach? They never have a problem with that. Yeah. And I'm sure you know that Europe, the European Tour, has taken Saudi money in the past. And I guess uh, Callaway, uh, Titleist, uh, Ping, as well as Nike do huge business in China, as well as the UAE and Saudi Arabia. Yeah. So, excuse me, I'm not against 9-11 families, but I just think Phil Mickelson's an easy target. He comes out and says, I lost $200 million gambling. You know, he's the, the counter to Tiger Woods for the longest time. Yeah. He speaks out. Remember that time he got in trouble for saying, I'm going to go to a different state because I'm tired of playing California tax? Yes. And he got in trouble for that? Yeah, look, I, I think Phil Mickelson is an easy target. I also think maybe I'm just already used to it because the thing that almost no one is discussing is 
has no one been paying to pay attention to high-level soccer for the last 20 years? I mean, Saudi oligarchs have gone into the English Premier League and other top European soccer uh, federations and bought up some of the biggest and best franchises in those leagues and then started to pay all of these top players outlandish salaries that nobody else was making beforehand, driving up the overall amount that soccer players are going to make. So my point on that is I haven't seen Messi or Ronaldo or a lot of the top English Premier League and European soccer stars being criticized for their affiliation with the Saudi oil money in that way either. And I, I think it's maybe just a delayed reaction in my mind that this is where we are right now. So yeah, I think that's. I think you made your uh, really good point. Also, Abramovich, the oligarch, uh, tight uh, tight with uh, Russian. Yeah, President he owned Vladimir Chelsea, Putin. and they made him basically sell it finally. But right. there's tons of Russian pr- prior to the invasion and, of Ukraine. Those guys were laundering money like crazy by buying big time. Because London teams. was the best place to oh, be. Oh yeah, Manchester uh, City yes. is owned by a Arab uh, sheik. You know the, where uh, where the World Cup is going to be in Qatar. It's illegal to be gay. Yeah. you could be arrested, jailed, or thrown off a building. I understand. You mentioned Brooks Kepka. Uh, we have that. Cut twenty. I'm ready to play U.S. Open. I think it kind of sucks too. Y'all are throwing this black cloud over the U.S. Open, and I mean it's one of my favorite events. And I don't know why you guys keep doing that, but um, you know, the more legs you give it, the more more you keep talking about it. I don't understand. I'm trying to focus on the U.S. Open, man. Like, I legitimately don't get it. I'm tired of the conversations. I'm tired of all this stuff. Y'all are throwing a black cloud on the U.S. Open. I think that sucks. I actually do feel bad for him for once. I mean, it's a situation. We're here to play, and you're talking about some event that happened last week. Well, there's events going to be going on now for the next foreseeable future. I know, but you can't drive a car looking in the rearview mirror, can you? (laughs) I mean, that's the way a lot of athletes think. You know, I mean, one of the reasons, Brian, we've had so much success at OutKick is there is such a left far left, I would say, slant from the sports media that a lot of these coaches and players just kind of throw up their hands and say, man, you know, I'm here to play golf. I'm not necessarily here to opine on the U.S. relationship with Saudi Arabia and how that impacts the live tour, right? And there's this idea out there because far left-wing sports writers want their political opinions to be shared. I think, I think. This is where it comes from. I think there's a lot of guys who go into sports media that are insecure about whether they're real journalists because right. you're writing and talking about sports for a living. And I think this is when they decide, oh, I've got to bow up and be serious on this topic instead of talking about whether a guy deserves a $100 million contract or not. Now I'm going to be an expert on the live tour and whether guys right. should be playing in Saudi Arabia-related issues. And so I think this line of questioning is often – elemental insecurity on behalf of many people in the sports media who also want their left-wing political opinions out there. Clay Travis here from OutKick. Uh, last one, just to, to, to go full circle. Here's a, uh, a uh, foreign business council chairman, I think he is, Richard Haas, weighing in on why this is different. It is just about the money, no matter how they dress it up. It is. I think the reasons for President Biden to go to Saudi Arabia this summer are, shall we say, more worthy. You've got the common concern about Iran's nuclear program. You've got the possibility of Saudi Arabia following suit with other countries and creating uh, peaceful relations with Israel. We need greater Saudi output on oil. We want the Saudis to extend the ceasefire in the war in Yemen. We could probably get some political human rights uh, promises 
speeches from the Saudis about the, the future. So I think there's a legitimate reason for having a relationship with Saudi Arabia if you're the president of the United States. Is there a legitimate reason for Phil Mickelson to have this relationship with Saudi Arabia or for Greg Norman to? No, there's no serious purpose for it. Again, this is simply greed, no more, no less. I just, I mean. What is he talking about? Yes, the president's relationship with Saudi Arabia is more serious than a golfer's relationship with Saudi Arabia. But uh, if China bought the NBA, uh, and let's be honest, you know, it kind of feels like China has bought the NBA. But let's just pretend that, you know, all 30 NBA franchises were suddenly purchased by China. Or if China bought uh, Endeavor's ownership of the UFC or the WWE or whatever it is. Is the argument that if a country we don't like is involved in owning a sports league that American athletes aren't allowed to be employed there? I mean, this is, right. a, I think, a legitimate question. I mean, let, let's use the UFC as an example, right? People who love the UFC, Endeavor owns it right now, but like anything, it's for sale, right? If the price is right, I imagine. So if someone offered a wildly ex- exorbitant amount for the UFC, are we saying that American uh, fighters shouldn't be participating in UFC events because it's owned by China? or Saudi Arabia, or some other country that we don't have great relations with all the time. That seems nonsensical to me. Absolutely. Clay, we're going to hold on. I know you're um, not used to doing breaks because a lot lot of times the Yao Kicks a podcast, right? Yeah, but I've also got the Clay and Buck show. So, right. so, uh, so you do, do you understand break? Yeah, I understand how the concept works. All right, we're gonna we're gonna come back. <laughs> I, we got to make money. I, I do want you to uh, weigh in on nil. Can yeah, for that? sure. Yeah, hundred percent. All right, Happy uh, to do it. Clay Travis here. Don't move. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Clay Travis is back with us. Outkick is uh, now part of the Fox family. Uh, Clay, Tommy Laren is getting a, yeah. a, a show on your channel. Talk about where it's heading, Outkick. I'm excited. You know, Fox bought Outkick last year, uh, almost exactly to this day. They officially announced it, and we got the deal done. And we have – so if, you, if you've never heard of Outkick and you are remotely a sports fan, but you sometimes – throw your hands up in the air and say, I can't believe this woke universe is driving me crazy. You will love OutKick. And so Tommy is a newest addition. We're going to have, by next year, my plan is, I hope, to have 6 a.m. to 7 p.m. live streaming shows. And Tommy's new show, which I'm excited about, launches on Monday. Uh, and it'll be uh, Tommy Laren is fearless. He's going to have great guests, fantastic studio. I live in Nashville, built it out for It's going to be great. Uh, debuts uh, on Monday. She's going to do multiple shows a week for us. We've got a lot of fantastic programming. You'll also soon be able to stream it all through OutKick.com. Uh, wow. It's going to be great. And you got Bobby Barak, right? Oh, we've got – look, Bobby Barak, you may have had him on the uh, your show yeah. before. I know you have. I mean, he's a super young, talented guy. Uh, Joe Kenzie, Armando Salguero, who a lot of people will know covering the NFL. Uh, we have got a uh, – a bevy of talented guys that are coming in and girls uh, that are going to be producing some content that I'm really excited about. So uh, we're talking to Clay, and Clay, you can talk about everything, but I just got to talk to you about another area of expertise, which is sports and how it's going to be different this year. I mean, you did a college tour last year. You yes. did a tailgate party, right? All across. Yeah. But name, image, and likeness. It basically, we already thought if you were you wanted to transfer, this transfer portal was chain-making Free agents into everyone. Yeah. Joe Burrows is not playing at Ohio State. Goes into the transfer portal. Ends up being maybe 
one of the finest young quarterbacks the NFL has seen in, I think in that's right. 20 years. So, But he was stuck on the bench. So they got a little bit of freedom. But now with the NIL, name, image, and likeness, what's gonna, what is it going to do for the balance of power and what we see on TV? I think it's going to be a seismic change. The, the description that I've used is basically the Berlin Wall came down in college athletics. And what I mean by that example is when the Berlin Wall came down, suddenly Germany went full capitalist. And what's happened is a raw, unvarnished capitalism now exists in college sports where before it did not. And so you are going to have top players, recruits, and then players who prove themselves in college able to sell their labor basically as free agents to many of these different schools out there. So the rich, and and I mean the rich boosters, are going to be able to dictate uh, the quality of talent that is coming into schools on a level that we've never seen before. So I'm a billionaire that went to Texas A&M, yeah. and Clay Travis is his hotshot uh, senior in high school. Yep, he lands at, uh, in Texas, uh, and he he's and you greet him. Yep, and the boosters greet him, and they let him know what he's got a dealership deal. He's going to have a, a sneaker deal. Yep. Uh, we got other guys that own. I'll make you a part owner of a steakhouse. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, what could end up Texas happening? Texas A&M has everybody, right? Yeah. Texas A&M's doing great. Texas is doing great. University of Tennessee is doing really well. It basically is coming down to how many billionaires are big fans of your school. And look, I, there's got to be rules. So why didn't they come up with some rules? Well, the NCAA got destroyed in the Supreme Court. Because basically what they determined was there was an antitrust violation when you're telling a kid all you can get is a scholarship and you're not allowed to make any more money off your talent. And so the NCAA got destroyed to such an extent legally that I think they're terrified to try and implement any rules. So right now we're in the Wild West. I've written and talked about what I believe is a basic huge paradigm shift. As I said, the Berlin Wall coming down in college athletics at some point there's going to have to be rules put in place in some magnitude. Because, look, I mean, what could happen? Let's pretend Elon Musk, instead of deciding to buy Twitter, uh, the richest man in the world, was a huge fan of a particular college University football team. of Florida. Yeah, let's say he's a University of Florida fan. And he says, I'm going to give a billion dollars to uh, this NIL fund, yeah. and we're going to buy every single year – Everybody who resigns with Florida is going to get a million dollars to represent NIL. Remember, NIL doesn't mean you have to make money, right? There's lots of guys out there who can run businesses and lose money on it. Um, And so, in theory, you could have a situation, you can only sign 85 scholarship players for football, where every single one of them is making $2 million a year to play at Florida because a billionaire decided he wants the best possible team. Well, then, that's why the NFL has collective bargaining agreements, right? Because otherwise the richest owners would yep. be able to sign all the best players and competitive balance would be severely curtailed. And so that is what is going on now. I think that a lot of people are suddenly realizing, wait a minute, we have free agency on a level. There's Look, Brian, there are guys in college athletics who will make more money than they would as pros. Right. Uh, and I don't think people have thought about this and really understand all of the permutations and outcomes that right. are in play now. And it just said, uh, you know, come one, come all, at least yeah. for five years, for the Purdue's, the Syracuse's, the ones that aren't the high profile. They have could a fall rich, precipitously. If you have a rich booster, you could elevate, or if you don't, you could fall very quickly. And if Clay graduated from your school, you're in luck. This guy <laughs> is a billionaire. Thanks, Clay. Appreciate y'all. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice.
Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, Liz Peek is here. Uh, she is a Fox News contributor, columnist for FoxNews.com uh, and The Hill. Uh, she's going to provide some much-needed insight on the realities of the economy as well as uh, provide what's going on with the president's big letter to all these oil companies, uh, basically threatening them, uh, bring the price down or else. And then Julie Banderas at the bottom of the hour. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. To me, what they represent is capitalism. Look, the Live Tour is offering them more money. The PGA can't compete. I don't begrudge them taking that opportunity. They're still going to be able, theoretically, to play in the majors. And this Live Tour versus PGA battle, to me, is one of the more intriguing in the world of sports. Yeah, there you go. The Saudi sports washing, so to speak, the live tour and the hypocrisy that goes along with it. Uh, I'm not a fan of their government, but Phil Mickelson should not be taking the fall unless, of course, you're going to bring down LeBron, uh, the PGA and FIFA and our government along with them. They all do business with evil regimes without paying any price. Why should Phil? Number two. She's a Republican. She's a conservative. They tried to tie her as an ultra MAGA right wing extremist. And of course, they're going to call her a sexist and a racist. Her name is Myra Flores. Those two words alone tell you everything you need to know about 2022 and the big red rape coming. Yep. Another impactful, intriguing primary day. Donald Trump's impact fell from Texas to South Carolina to Nevada. We're going to look at the, that record and the stunning flip in Texas. Number one. Problem is. Republicans in Congress are doing everything they can to stop my plans to bring down costs on ordinary families. That's why my plan is not finished and why the results aren't finished either. Jobs are back, but prices are still too high. Yep. uh, With President Biden's term in free fall, especially as it relates to the economy, he takes to the mic to throw shade everywhere, specifically at Donald Trump, the GOP and breaking this morning. Biden sent a letter to heads of seven major oil companies threatening to use emergency powers if they don't increase output at refineries. Does that even make sense? I'll break it down. Uh, but first, let's break in, uh, officially bring in Liz Peak. Liz, thanks for coming in. Good morning. I'm happy to join you. Yeah, so I just handed you that letter uh, moments ago. <laughs> and essentially, if I, if I do summarize correctly, it is, hey, oil's high. I get it. But refinery capacity, they're making all the money. So find a way to get the refinery price down because oil is 120 a barrel, but gas should not be close to $10 a gallon. It should be more like 425. Is he right? Uh, look, I think he's desperate. That's what we know. And I haven't had a chance to really read this entire letter, but the, the argument is refinery margins are too high. And so you need to produce more product to bring those margins down. I think any sensible business-oriented person, which Joe Biden is clearly not, would realize that if refinery margins are extremely high, the oil companies are refining every drop of oil they can get their hands on because that makes their uh, profit margin and their and their bottom line look better. So, look, I, I think this is a uh, prequel to 
Biden trying to push for a windfall profits tax or some other measure that signals to the American people that he is mad about gas prices. He's doing everything he can, including beating up on oil companies, because after all, none of it is his fault. Remember that. Uh, instead, it's the Republicans' fault and Putin's fault and everybody else's fault, including the oil companies. And look, we've been here before. This is just sort of stupid policymaking. Well, I want you to hear a little bit of the best of of his speech, which was way off the mark on so many facts. Cut one. Since I took office to your help, families are carrying less debt nationwide. They have more savings nationwide. Let's just pause right there. Is that true? No, no and no. Uh, debt is actually going up and also consumer savings are going down. And that's been in, in place for a couple of months. So I don't know whether his team is just behind the curve or he thinks he can just get away with lying to the American people. Bizarre. So let's just play the rest of that, Eric. Any more of these lies about reckless spending or changing people's lives. Under my plan for the economy, we've made extraordinary progress and we put America in a position to tackle a worldwide problem that's worse everywhere but here. Is that true? Inflation <laughs> and the things are worse everywhere but here? No. Because I see that inflation is high, is uh, lower in the eurozone, lower in South Korea significantly in almost half of ours, Australia, China, Saudi Arabia, Israel, and Germany. Yeah. And and by the way, some of those countries have uh, less oil and gas indigenously than we do. So you would sort of imagine that America would be better off, but we are not. And and going back to the American Rescue Plan, I think people are waking up to the fact that the Democrats two trillion dollars excess spending in 2021 really ignited inflation. You go back and look at the numbers. It's completely clear that that's what happened. You ladled out fourteen hundred dollars to every American. Uh, expanded the wild, the child welfare tax, all these things, and it came home to roost in terms of immediately inflation beginning to tick up. So I think that he is very defensive about that. And why should he be so defensive about the American Rescue Plan? One, it was passed only with Democrat votes. Two, an awful lot of people at the time, including apparently Janet Yellen, said, mm, maybe this is too much on top of already spending $5 trillion. Maybe we should whittle this down. And three, Brian, he has no other answers to all of our country's problems than spending more money. What does he want to do about inflation? Spend another 3 to $5 trillion on Build Back Better. It's insanity, and I think basically the entire country knows it. Cut five. Republicans like to portray me as some kind of big spender. We have spent a lot of money. But let's compare the facts. Under my predecessor, the deficit exploded. Raising, rising every single year, and all the benefit going to the top 1%, basically. Under my plan, last year, we cut the deficit by $350 billion. Now, how did he do that? <laughs> by spending so much the year before that all you have to do is make even the most modest uh, cutbacks in spending that the deficit is improved. I, you know, again, this is just malarkey, he would call it. But I just don't think American voters are this stupid. They know that the numbers are worse. They know we had a blowout of spending under Joe Biden. Uh, and, and unfortunately, now we're paying the price for that. Yeah, I had no idea he was going to focus on the deficit. But that's what he focused on. Also, he does not talk about the cost of extending everyone's unemployment insurance, extending everyone's uh, the amnesty when it comes to rent. 
Uh, so all of a sudden, there's no rush to get back into the workforce. So there's 11 million open jobs right now, 7 million unemployed. The, remar- the numbers were remarkably low. And even though wages are going up, it's not keeping up with inflation. Does he not think we could do that basic math? I, I think he doesn't, and he can't, apparently, because he keeps uttering these falsehoods. But you bring up a good point, which we don't talk about enough. It wasn't just fueling demand for scarce goods that came out of the American Rescue Plan. It was also keeping people on the sidelines instead of going back to work. So you had this big boom in, in demand, and then the supply side shrank because, to your point, we didn't get back the workers. By the way, we're still not back there. That's the amazing thing. There's still uh, hundreds of thousands, fewer people in the workplace now than pre-COVID. Why should that be? I, you know, look, studies have been done to show that you could get uh, 85% of your pre-COVID income doing nothing because of all those benefits and the, and the moratoriums and so forth. And by the way, not paying your student debt is another reason people don't have to go back to work. All these things piled up uh, to create a labor shortage. And you never hear Democrats talk about this because they don't really want people working. They want people dependent on the state. They want to be able to go around, as they are now doing with the American Rescue Plan, hundreds of billions of dollars, meeting it out to various communities and guaranteeing their vote. Well, you know how Liz uh, Liz Peaks, our guest, of course, Liz, a Fox News contributor, columns for foxnews.com and The Hill. Uh, and Liz, but the thing is, fundamentally, America is based on competition. It's based on competing against somebody else to be better. And if not, be a worker, be the best worker you can be. If you flatten the playing field and you take out innovation, we're not the same country. Uh, and entrepreneurship. Agreed. Uh, there are just an awful lot of things wrong. But actually, a lot of this is an echo, I'd say an enhanced echo from Obama's era. Uh, Obama was anti-business, really, and all the red tape, regulations, higher taxes, all those things created the slowest recovery from a recession in our history. Please, Lord, make sure this doesn't happen again because we are on the same path right now. So here is what Pete Buttigieg said about another area of expertise, and that's oil. Cut nine. It's been very striking right now to see these oil companies uh, who have become almost ridiculously profitable. And you hear these oil executives on the record talking about how they're not going to increase production. Uh, Why would they? They're doing great right now. It's why the president has called for a use it or lose it policy, where if you're sitting on these thousands of permits like these oil executives have been, and you're not doing anything with them, then you're going to be held accountable for that. Now, so far, congressional Republicans have blocked action to do something like that. But we think that's another step that would make a difference among the many, many steps the president's already taken. So it is the oil company's fault, right? Do you want to break that down? Well, it's the oil company's fault because they have a lot of acreage under lease and they're not drilling. You might go back to the beginning of the uh, Biden administration when they actually froze drilling permits. And by the way, uh, the Interior Secretary, Deb Halen, basically has been called out for a judge for not abiding by the law. It, the law says you have to hand out these billing permits for companies to be able to take advantage of the acreage they have under lease. Look, uh, there is acreage under lease. It's not totally the acreage that the oil industry wants. Rig count is going up in the United States. It's up over 40 percent year over year. And production is increasing. But we had a big hiccup uh, post-Trump in terms of production going down because oil prices plummeted, and that always happens. There are a lot of small companies in this business, not just the giants. They cut back on investment. But the bigger picture is 
every big lending institution, every big investment company, and the federal government are, and the Democratic Party are all telling oil companies, your future is limited. We're not going to – we're going to put you out of business. Remember, that was a Joe Biden quote. Yeah. We're going to put fossil fuels out of business. So why, if you're a smart person and it's going to take 15 years, 10 to 15 years to recoup your money in a big oil platform or oil uh, field offshore or something, why would you spend that money – if they're telling you you're going to be out of business. And big investment firms were told, be politically correct. Do not invest in these fossil fuel companies. So guess what? They turned around and said, excuse me, you want me to go give you a windfall profit tax? Did anyone give me money when everyone stopped using oil and gas? And when the the price dropped under $50 a barrel, when you lose money, here come the layoffs? No one really was shedding a tear for them then. No. And, and Brian, I do think we should mention uh, just in passing – that Joe Biden is now going to go to Saudi Arabia, uh, a country that he totally dismissed, Pariah insulted, <clears throat> yes, and meet with uh, uh, Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince who ru- runs that country, even though he's called him a thug and a killer, uh, be- hat in hand, because guess what? There are two countries on earth that can increase production, the UAE, United Arab Emirates, and Saudi Arabia. On multiple occasions in the last year, they've refused to do that because he has so insulted them. So not only is he beating up on our industry, causing problems in American output and not encouraging it. By the way, he hasn't yet called in the oil company guys and said, hey, look, whatever you need, let's let's expand production as fast as possible. What can I do? Instead, they're putting on methane, uh, new methane regulations that increase the cost of production. They've, as I mentioned earlier, held back on permitting, et cetera. Why hasn't he done that? Why hasn't he convened, uh, you know, like he did with the automakers, kind of a, a White House powwow to say, let's drill more oil? It's because the climate zealots in the White House refuse to do that. Climate zealots, and that's what he's about. I'm yeah. just seeing this other report that he's pushing uh, the big tech companies to stop publishing anti-climate change yeah. uh, information. Unbelievable. As if it is settled science. As if those two words go together, settled in science. Liz Peek here. Um, Liz, do you have some time to join me right after the break? Sure. Okay, great. So Liz is going to stick around. Then Julie Banderas right after that. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. When we come back, we are going to talk about the big push right now for this administration to put all the pressure on the on Build Back Better. They want to get something going on that and to raise taxes on those horrible people that earn the most. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The Fed is so far behind the curve, it can't even see it. You know, we actually have to get interest rates above the rate of inflation. We need positive real interest rates. But thanks to the Federal Reserve, everybody has so much debt that we can't afford to pay an interest rate high enough to fight inflation. But it is going to be high enough to cause a massive recession and another financial crisis that's worse than the one we had in 2008. Wow, that's scary. Peter Schiff, uh, you know him. You certainly know his name is Euro-Pacific Capital. On with Laura Ingram last night. Liz Peek is here. Uh, Liz, your reaction to his assessment that is a recession that's going to hurt more than 08? I hope not. Uh, I'd say... I'm pretty bearish on the outlook right now because I think the Fed is totally behind the curve. I think he's totally right Uh, and are going to have to be aggressive. We're going to know today just how aggressive they want to be up front. 
Uh, the what only, do you mean? What's happened to the Fed's going to make an well, announcement? Well, the Fed's going to make an announcement today about how much they're hiking rates. It was supposed to be a 50 basis point increase, and now they're looking at 75 because the inflation number Friday was so terrible. Now, today, we also had bad uh, retail sales numbers for May, so maybe that's going to temper their thinking. But I think it's already set in stone that they may become more aggressive and that's, I think, why the market's up. I mean, that's sort of an interesting assessment that traders are thinking, okay, if, they, if Fed gets aggressive, why would that be good for market? Because it, it shortens the recovery time, if you will. We'll begin at five, in the next two or three months to look beyond what recession may come, et cetera. Uh, but, uh, you know, obviously um, the numbers are not good. We're starting to see the job market fray around the edges. That is the one thing that has been extremely strong. Joe Biden's right. We have a very strong job market. If that begins to deteriorate, I think consumers get even more anxious than they are today. The the most shocking number last week was not inflation, in my view. It was the consumer sentiment number, which went from 58.4 in May to 50. Absolutely an all-time historic low. And, and in- What does that mean? It's it's uh, it's a reading on how positive consumers are about their financial position, about the economy, about the outlook for wow. the economy looking forward. We have never had a lower reading. And I want you to think about that. We've not had a lower reading during wars and during riots and during the pandemic. All during those periods, consumers remained – if not upbeat, at least okay. 58 was not an upbeat number. That's a recession-level number. 50 is like dire. So I that worries me. What I was going to say, though, is compared to 2008, <clears throat> the one thing I think you can have some take some solace in, uh, and I'll probably regret saying this, is that I don't think, uh, number one, the banks are in very good shape. The banking regulations that came into place after the, the big recession, the Great Recession, they call it, actually meant that reserves are very high. That's a big deal. We're not going to have bank failures, knock on wood. But there's almost always a bubble of some sort that explodes when the Fed starts (laughs) strengthening. It's true. Is it crypto? Are we going to find that some hedge fund was over leveraged on crypto and all of a sudden a whole lot of people go bust? You know, there's going to be something probably. Liz, thanks so much for being here. We need some insight uh, because we do not need politicians telling us (laughs) what they don't know on a regular basis. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Great fun. Uh, Julie Banderas, when we come back, who knows what she brings to the table or doesn't. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. But I also think we have to separate what's going on in society from politics. So is it going to change politically? Hell yes, we're going to kick their butts. It's going to be an amazing red wave. Not so much because the Republican Party is so perfect, but these guys have bungled everything you can imagine. The real question Michelle's talking about is, even if the voters revolt, can you actually change all the insanity that's rolling through these institutions and through the schools. And I'm, you know, I'm more dubious until we have a lot of political success. Right. They're talking about the school systems. They're talking about the curriculum. Uh, We're talking about all these other things that are going on uh, with local and state governments, let alone the federal government. And yet the president of the United States, President Trump, who was frustrated because a lot of things were not responding to the policies that were he was trying to put in place. Uh, Julie Banderas, Fox News anchor, set to house to host outnumbered in about ninety minutes. That's right. Right. That's right. Thanks Are so you going to do my here. hair and makeup so I'm ready in time? Yeah. Well, I could do that, okay. but I think you probably want a pro, right? 
Don't you want someone that majored in this in yeah. college or something? No, I suppose. Or took a course? I don't think there's a major for makeup in college, but sure, I'll take it. Allison, would you look that up Mm-mm. and find out if you can major in uh, in makeup and hair? Okay. All right. I, maybe I it's a, Maybe it's a separate trade school. <laughs> Uh, but what about what, what uh, Match Lab said? Do you think this is looking like a red wave? Yes, I do. I think that the Republicans have, um, a, you know, a big advantage coming around this time. Uh, you know, first of all, Democrats have completely screwed up on every single level, from the economy to gas prices to every ounce of inflation that the Americans are suffering through. And you know who's suffering the most? The poor, the middle class, the lower middle class. They are the ones suffering because their wages cannot keep up with inflation. So for an administration that uh, ran on the basis of that we are going to raise taxes yep. for the rich and we are going to protect the poor, it's quite the opposite. The poor are the ones suffering the most and the rich are actually doing quite well. All right. So a couple of things happened yesterday. I think the most intriguing thing is what happened in Texas. Yep. So in Texas, they have a seat that's open because somebody... Uh, resigned, and it's 84% Hispanic and one uh, for the Republican. Yes. And this is maybe a canary in a coal mine for what could be happening for the future in politics. Yes. Because of what Joe Biden has done, for some reason, he has repulsed the Hispanic community. Yeah. Um, Myra Flores, she won the special primary election to finish the term of former Democratic uh, uh, Representative Vela. You know, first of 51-43 all, fifty-one forty-three over was, Sanchez. It was it was a significant, significant win, and it says a lot about our immigration policy. First of all, because Hispanics alone are probably the most disgusted population demographic in this country with our immigration crisis. Hispanics are seeing this administration as basically just giving the green light to um, to illegal immigrants in this country, and they want it stopped. So this is going to be a major red flag for Republicans, for Democrats moving forward, because Democrats don't stand a chance in border states like Texas. So, uh, yeah, if you're a Democrat in Texas, uh, kiss your seat goodbye. What about Nancy Mace overcomes an anti uh, an anti-Trump movement. You know, they were Nancy Mace uh, got on the bad side of Donald Trump when yeah. she was critical of him on January 6th, uh, and he went out and, and endorsed Arrington. So Arrington comes out and she loses by about 10 points. Afterwards, President Trump says this. Katie Arrington has a long, had, was a long shot but ran a great race and way overperformed. Congrats to Nancy Mace, who should easily be able to defeat the Democratic opponent. So that is as close to a, a, peace, a peace deal that Donald Trump would ever have. Nancy Mace, he was a big supporter, jump ship. I sense that he might be coming back there. Yeah. I think anyone that Trump is getting behind right now is is going to succeed. I mean, it's just I think the, the, the Trump era is coming back. I think that anyone who's running with his support is going to have a, a very strong chance of, of getting elected. It's also interesting that all those Republicans that ran um, against him, basically denouncing him for the January 6th riots, those Republicans that are those Republicans that, in fact, voted toward impeachment. Look what's happening to their seats. Right. Uh, a couple of things. I think he's got, of all the people he endorsed, some of which were un, you know, right. uh, really unopposed or no real opponent, 116 yeah. wins and he, about 13 losses. So mm-hmm. give or take one or, one or two on either side. So he's got, he's got shows he's got some political clout. I think the best example is J.D. Vance mm-hmm. or Dr. Oz. The worst example is Senator Perdue didn't get close to Brian Kemp. Right. So his power is somewhat limited. How do you feel January 6th and the ongoing hearings – uh, even though today's was canceled, plays into Donald Trump. 
I mean, you know, if you look at the primaries, it, it speaks volumes as to how Republicans who wanted Donald Trump impeached are now paying the price. Um, in, uh, let's see, South Carolina, his preferred candidate easily ousted the five-term Congressman uh, uh, Tom Rice there, first Republican to be booted from office after voting to impeach the president about last 40 year. Points. I mean, it's like, talk about getting bitten in the you-know-what. Can we say that word on radio? Yes. Okay. Well, yeah. Just don't. Can I say don't something where you eat? Because that's another thing that probably not. Probably not. That would be a problem. Okay. Don't defecate where you eat, Republicans. Because if you're going to turn your back on President Trump now, former President Trump, and now you're trying to get reelected, just remember that the Trump base, the very conservative, very um, loyal Trump base in this country, they have a very good memory, and they're not going to forget. You know those Republicans that turn their back on the president. And the one would be Liz Cheney. I mean, Liz yes. Cheney's trailing by about twenty points yep. against the Trump candidate. Yeah, um, yeah. Another that's another sign for Republicans. Liz Cheney. Uh, she also voted to impeach Trump, uh, which has helped lead the House panel in investigating the January sixth attack. She's facing a competitive primary, I guess, in August, right? Uh, from a Trump-backed challenger, and she—that's not mm. going to look good for her either. Well, that'll be—I mean, this is a conservative. Cheney is royalty in mm-hmm. Wyoming, and for her to lose, it shows you the that's power huge, of Trump. Huge, huge. But look, I mean, the other thing is, if you take a step back and you say the people that think that Donald Trump acted poorly after January six are his most loyal supporters, Ivanka, mm-hmm. I mean, Jared Kushner, uh, you have his campaign director, you also have. Uh, you have Vice President Mike Pence. You, you know, most of these people were his most loyal supporters for four years. So by Liz Cheney doing this, I understand that she's disappointed. I understand Tom Rice's stance. I get it. Yeah. But just know this. I think what happened with Liz Cheney is she went way over the top. So she went over the top. She is what makes Adam Schiff seem like a Trump supporter. Mm-hmm. So that's where I think the problem was. I mean, there was like, yeah, I cannot support what he did on January 6th. And I really have look at him differently as opposed to I will lead a campaign to stop him. Right. Yeah. I mean, and and I, I don't know what they were thinking when they were doing that, because these people did want to, like, stay in office and conti- consider, continue their political careers. So I'm not really sure. I, I think also that they were thinking that perhaps the rest of the country were going to get behind them. I don't think that they actually foresaw that the Republican base that Trump, you know, had right. garnered so much support from were actually going to continue to support him after all of that. So, so Julie, about a few weeks ago, by the way, the the Biden administration sending some of their leadership down, saying they have some, to Capitol Hill to get together on the messaging. Right. What the messaging is, that it's ultra MAGA, number one. Number two is that inflation is, everybody's got inflation, we're better off. And this whole thing is, I'm cutting the deficit, and it's all because Donald Trump's tax increase for the rich led us to this prize. So they want to start with all that. Right. The ultra MAGA thing has been, a, uh, has been an epic bomb. Yeah. Nobody minds it. In fact, Trump loves it. The MAGA king, he endorses it. Listen to President Biden yesterday in Philadelphia, uh, cut 14. I believe in bipartisanship, but I have no illusions about this Republican Party, <laughs> the MAGA party. I've been able to bring some Republicans along on parts of my plan. But the fact is, Republicans in Congress are still in the grip of the ultra-MAGA agenda. They still refuse to consider changing any part of the Trump tax cuts, which delivered massive windfalls to billionaires and others. And they weren't paid for. Yeah. Uh, you know, let him, uh, he's offering that advice. He's trying to grab Rick Scott's plan and say, the Rick Scott says every five years we should, we should reval- uh, reevaluate Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security. 
But the president's interpreting as, I'm going to run with this and say he's trying to get rid of it every five years. And it's not even the Republican plan. It's what Rick Scott put out. That's yeah. it. I know. And, and if if he's going to sit here and complain about the the former president's Trump uh, taxes when he's been in office for two years. I mean, why don't you worry about your own administration? I, 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 every time he mentions MAGA, I almost feel like he should, that's like a feather in Trump's cap as far as I'm concerned. You know, I don't know if he he thinks him sell hats. he's helping him. Yes. He's actually helping him literally sell hats. Do you own a MAGA hat by the way? I don't, oh. I don't. Yeah, I'm not a big hat guy. Oh no. If I look better, you wouldn't I want to mess up biggest. that hair. It's so fluffy. That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, I, I used to wear it backwards for a while, but, <laughs> After a while, be like, are you, you know, what are you doing? Yeah, what's the point? Yeah, Isn't that supposed to, point? like, protect you from the exactly. sun? Exactly. So I just said, all right, I don't have an answer, so I will take it off. <laughs> yeah, I don't wear hats either. Right. But I, I, I probably wouldn't wear a MAGA hat. I wouldn't wear any hat, but how, anyway. Can I ask you how you feel you look in a um, hat? I, I actually, I'm uh, in, like, a sun hat. I don't think so bad if my hair and makeup are done. Where I'm looking right now, if people are actually watching, no. On I Fox Nation. Would, I'd be better off, actually, in a hat right now. <laughs> I think you look great. <laughs> like, that covers my whole face. So when, when we come back, we'll find out if, if you need to know more because okay. you have to host outnumbered, co-host outnumbered in an hour and 15 minutes. I do. I do. And I need to get some makeup on stat. Don't move. All right. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. According to scholars, by three years old, our kids have an adult-like concept of race. By three years old, our kids are attaching uh, qualities like smartness and honesty and cleanliness to to skin color. And all the while, parents are, are, are thinking and teachers that our kids aren't thinking about uh, skin color or even seeing it. And so we're not stepping in to counteract those messages, and we need to. That is Ibram uh, Kendi uh, talking about we really feel like kids know about race at three and, of course, ready to uh, transition if you need to. They think cleanliness and skin color are linked. Is there any way you find that could be true as a mom? No. Julie Banderas? No, I don't. What Cleanliness and what is linked? He says... Uh, let me see. He says, honesty and cleanliness links to skin color and teachers are thinking kids don't see color. That's not true. That has no, that has, that makes absolutely no sense. No, uh, uh-uh, no. And, and, and as far as kids are concerned, kids need to be kids. I don't understand why society has now all of a sudden made our children adults <laughs> because uh, my child doesn't make their, my child, he and she, because I have both, do not make their own decisions. I mean, you can make your decisions as to when you have to pee right. and when mommy has to come wipe you. But those are the decisions you make in my house. I make the rest. I'm when, sorry. Children when they get do not older, make decisions. When they get older, they Sure, make of course. But like a three to five-year-old doesn't make a decision, a life decision that's going to affect the rest of their lives. I'm sorry. No. Let's find out if there's even more to know. More to know. All right. Six in ten moms struggle with planning kids' summer vacation, according to a recent study of 2,000 people. Forty-six percent, uh, Julie, say they they're finding they are finding both outdoor and indoor activities that'll keep their kids entertained for long periods of time is a very big challenge. Forty-three percent say they're having difficulties uh, finding something to do and uh, coming up with new ideas. Forty-two percent state that's a problem. 
How about you? Well, I think it's because kids are lazy and they don't like to go outside and do things. And that's because parents let them sit on their devices all day. So God forbid they actually have to use their creativity to think of something to do. So I say take your devices away from the kids and actually pay attention to them this summer. That's my motherly advice. Next. Oh, that's my turn. The Great Resignation looks like it's set to continue. One in five say that they'll be changing jobs in the next year. I guess there's a survey that comes out, 52,000 workers, 44 countries. uh, In the Great Resignation is set to continue. Some 35% say that they plan to ask their employers for a pay raise with the pressure highest in the tech sector. Yeah, so people basically don't want to work, but yet they want to get paid. That's, yeah. that's the bottom line there is what I'm reading and stuff. Next, traveling with kids overwhelmed parents after five hours, as according to a recent oh, survey, reveals that parents start getting overwhelmed five hours into their road trip. One 24%, hour. 24%. Uh, no. no, I'm, I'm Oh, you're me. one hour. Okay. Oh, yeah, no, I'm one uh, A quarter, 24% prefer traveling via car instead of flying. Perhaps uh, 72% of parents pack at least one bag or suitcase for their children while on the road. How do you pack a suitcase while you're on the road? If you're just packing while you're on the road, then you're definitely going to forget Stop at a CVS. (laughs) Yeah. And I would say five hours in a car trip with kids is hell. Don't do it. I don't recommend it. Or just give them a lot of melatonin. Which you've done. I have, actually. Next. Oh, Ozzy Osbourne. Oh, this guy. He, he just had grueling surgery. He removed uh, and realigned pins in his neck and his back. Um, the former Black Sabbath frontman, he wore a black T-shirt, black jeans, blue mask, left with his wife, Sharon Osbourne. Anyway, he's been reeling from neck injury stemming from a quad biking accident in 2003. Um, I feel bad for the guy. He has Parkinson's. He's also obviously suffers neurological disorders due to all his heavy drugs that he's been doing through the years. But they're a strong couple. I have to say, I got to give it to Sharon Osbourne. Next, Brittany Griner will remain in custody for Russia for at least another two and maybe two and a half weeks. You know, she's the best female player in the world. Uh, You know what happened when she was passing through a uh, to an airport inside Russia where she was playing professional basketball for a lot of money. They said she had hashish on her was for a uh, for some type of pipe. So therefore, the Phoenix Mercury star and national team superstar is still in a Russian jail. We have no leverage right now. Zero. I'm like, it's ridiculous. Why can't we get her out of there? Because they don't respect us. It was brought up, I think it was you, Allison, that brought up that the NBA should use the leverage with China. They asked China to use their leverage to get Griner out. How about that for an idea? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess. Yeah, that would be a good idea. But yeah. we because we she have no leverage. To, so it looks like. Uh, well, I just you. it's sad because we have no leverage. So, I mean, the fact that we have to rely on China because we have zero leverage over right. China or Russia. Um, uh, the next big story. Oh, Britney Spears. I'm really into this story. So, you know how her ex rampaged their wedding? Uh, ex-husband Jason Alexander, not to be confused with the guy on Seinfeld, um, entered her home, attempted to crash her wedding. Well, she's reportedly fired the security team. I guess really? the security team didn't do their jobs and let this guy in somehow. Yeah, I mean, How this the guy's, heck did he get in? They were only married for 55 hours. I just want to say this. Um, I say, if you can't beat them, join them. Invite your exes to your wedding. I had, like, two ex-boyfriends at my wedding. Well, they were probably than, like, holy uh, crap. I, I could have so had her. It wasn't me. Oh, no. <laughs> they were counting their blessings that day. They're do better you, better in than do us. Do you think you're a good spouse? No. Or you're a handful? No, I'm not a good spouse. I what? was never meant to be married. Really? Yeah, what no. made you think that? Because I'm really selfish. In what way? Well, like, I love my kids, but I don't love anyone else. Like, I hate the world. Right. You so know. someone says, um, show up at a recital for a friend of yours. Oh, 
No. Uh-uh. If it's for my kids, right. I will. I just don't. I, I, I just like to be by myself. I'm like visit, an independent person. Visit a friend of yours that's sick in the hospital? Yes. Yes. For friends, I will go and visit you. I will be. If, if you, you are ever in the hospital or if you need a coffee, right. you know, I'll, I'll most likely not get it for you. Allison, you have a question? Well, then you said you're a terrible spouse, so would you visit your spouse? No, I would not. I'd send the kids in. But with COVID restrictions, he wouldn't get many visitors. So. I would blame COVID. Sorry, can't come. They won't let me in. Next, IKEA uh, Norway offers help with baby names after COVID-19 boom. IKEA, uh, I guess we had a baby boom. IKEA has built, uh, has built a name bank with more than 800 listings. Would you reach to a furniture maker for a kid's name? No. Absolutely not. No, absolutely not. Instead, I Google. That's what I did. I, I Googled um, top names, and that's how I came up with my kids' names. And what are their names? Corey um, and... Addison, Avery, and Harrison. But you know how I came up with Banderas, interestingly enough? It's a fake name. It I is? looked in the yellow pages when I was in San Francisco. There's a lot of Spanish people there. It's a long story. My last name's Bidwell. But I went with Antonio's last name. I went with a celebrity name. You did? My former agent forced me to fa- change my name when I was at local Fox NY. Did you not know this story? No, I did not oh, know. Oh, yeah, it. my name is Bidwell. Banderas is complete BS. Yeah. I did not know this. Yeah. No, this is. these are fun facts you need to know. This has got to be cool. Screw these scripts. Yeah. I've got so much more content. Watch for out numbered in an hour. <laughs> See you at noon. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. At the bottom of the hour, John Castamatidis will be joining us, one of the few people who can actually respond directly to the President of the United States who just went out and called out refineries and oil companies for maximizing profits while uh, we are dealing with high gas and oil prices. The big difference is, he claims, is we're not upgrading the refinery capacity. Now it's time for the refinery community and the oil and gas community to answer back. John Castamatidis on that and also... We are coming to you from New York, heard around the country, around the world. And John Caspatides uh, owns uh, Red Apple Media, WLIR, as well as WABC. So understands all elements of what's happening right now. And Congressman Brian Fitzpatrick is just back from Ukraine, former FBI guy. Now the congressman from uh, Pennsylvania will be with us shortly. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by LifeVac. Save a life in a choking emergency. Visit LifeVac.net to learn more and use code BK10 to save 10%. Number three. To me, what they represent is capitalism. Look, the Live Tour is offering them more money. The PGA can't compete. I don't begrudge them taking that opportunity. They're still going to be able, theoretically, to play in the majors. And this Live Tour versus PGA battle to me is one of the more intriguing in the world of sport. Yeah, that is, uh, of course, uh, Clay Travis, uh, Saudi or the Saudi sports washing, the live tour and the hypocrisy. I'm not a fan of the Saudi government. Who is? But Phil Mickelson should not be taking the fall unless you're going to bring in LeBron and the PGA, FIFA and our government uh, with down with him. They all do business with Saudi Arabia and evil regimes without paying any price. Why should Phil? Number two. She's a Republican. She's a conservative. They tried to tie her as an ultra-MAGA, right-wing extremist. And, of course, they're going to call her a sexist and a racist. Her name is Myra Flores. Those two words alone tell you everything you need to know about 2022 and the big red rape coming. Yeah, that is true. And she won in uh, deep blue Texas, a portion of Texas that was Democrat. Another impactful, intriguing primary day. Trump's impact fell from Texas to South Carolina. 
to Nevada. We're going to look at that record and the stunning flip-flop in Texas. Number one. Problem is, Republicans in Congress are doing everything they can to stop my plans to bring down costs on ordinary families. That's why my plan is not finished and why the results aren't finished either. Jobs are back, but prices are still too high. Right. Nobody's fault, right? With President Biden's term in free fall, especially as it relates to the economy, he takes the mic to throw shade everywhere, specifically at Trump and the GOP. And breaking this morning, President Biden sends a letter to seven oil companies threatening to use emergency powers if they don't increase output at refineries. Really? We'll break it down. Congressman Brian Fitzpatrick from a big fracking state of Pennsylvania, House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, Foreign Affairs, Transportation and Infrastructure. Congressman, welcome back. Hey, good morning, Brian. Hey, I want to talk about the war uh, in Ukraine, the struggles we're having, getting supplies there, what you saw when you were there. But I got to ask you about the president's letter that you might not have seen specifically, but just know this. He's blaming refineries for the fact is uh, because they're they're charging so much and they're getting record profits for the fact that we're paying so much at the pump. Is that right? You know, Brian, there's a huge disconnect on the left and President Biden's right in the middle of it. Uh, of their ideology versus reality. Um, and they are paralyzed by the, the far left fringe elements, particularly here in the environmental movement, um, that are preventing them from doing what is utterly common sense. And they know it. We just had, a, I lead the, the bipartisan problem solvers caucus with Josh Gottheimer. Just this morning, we had American Petroleum Institute, we had the, uh, the LNG uh, natural gas folks in for a bipartisan discussion. Everybody knows what we need we need pipelines, we need permits. We need leases uh, to ramp up production. We can be the world's largest exporter if we chose to, but this administration is choosing otherwise. And uh, with the fracking and things to that nature, we're, we're still among the best, but the president's going to go over to Saudi Arabia and ask to pump more. He has no problem uh, blaming you guys for everything. Cut one. Since I took office to your help, families are carrying less debt nationwide. They have more savings nationwide. I don't want to hear any more of these lies about reckless spending, <clears throat> changing people's lives. Under my plan for the economy, we've made extraordinary progress. And we put America in a position to tackle a worldwide, worldwide problem that's worse everywhere but here. So he's he calls it lies uh, that the people, anyone who challenges him on the economy. Does that make sense to you? Well, I wonder if that includes Larry Summers, his own economist under the Obama-Biden administration, who uh, put forth the very simple definition of inflation, too much money chasing too few goods. He was concerned. He raised a red flag before the, quote-unquote, American Rescue Plan, the uh, $1.9 trillion. Uh, too, too much uh, demand, not enough supply, labor shortages, paying people to, to not work. This is a rocket science. Um, and moreover, Brian, um, again, you know, running the Problem Solvers Caucus, this administration could have reached out to our group over and over again on a, a host of issues. They have not at all. The other thing I think is important with this, uh, from what you know about the framework and the gun legislation on the Senate side, that Mitch McConnell says he likes a lot what he sees, and Senator Cornyn was on <clears> with us. Uh, from what you've seen, can you get behind that framework? Yeah, I mean, you, you got to see text, uh, specific text, but the ideas I think are good, Brian. Um, you know, we, we, we can't bury our head in the sand every time a tragedy occurs and hope that enough time passes by and, and do nothing. Um, now, I, I push back on my colleagues on the left who think that 100% of this solution lies in legislation. It does not. 
But I also push back on some of my colleagues on the right that think that 0% of the solution is legislation. I think there are certain things we can do, certainly when, when it comes to juvenile records, both mental health and criminal records getting put into the NICS system uh, to prevent some of these kids who turn 18 uh, by these weapons blocking that sale. I think that's reasonable. And I think what you're going to see in, in the framework that Kirsten Cinema uh, and John Cornyn put together, there's no federal mandates. Uh, all of it, for example, the, the quote-unquote red flag legislation, all it is is a carrot. It's financial incentives for states who choose to go down that path, which, by the way, Florida has after Parkland. Uh, Governor Rick Scott signed into law. Governor DeSantis kept it in law, and it's working effectively there. Republican state. So let's talk about Ukraine. Why did you go? <clears throat> well, we've been there several times. Uh, this was uh, the first time we actually got into Kiev, went to the embassy. We were the first, myself and Dan Crenshaw were the first uh, members of Congress to be in the embassy since they've raised the American flag back up again. Um, and uh, discouraging uh, reports, Brian, unfortunately. Um, Ever since the Russians repositioned to the east, they gave up on their initial plan to, to go after Kiev. Repositioned on the east, they're trying to build the land bridge down through Mariupol and all the way down to Odessa to cut off uh, sea access completely and therefore commerce. It's turned into our, an artillery slugfest, and the Ukrainians don't have the long-range artillery that they need. And Zelensky uh, said specifically what he wanted. Uh, he has not gotten it. He needs 300 uh, multiple launch, lock, uh, rocket launch systems. 1,000 howitzers, 500 tanks, 2,000 armored vehicles, and 1,000 drones. He says he's got about 15 to 20% of what he's asked for. So this is following on the heels of a $40 billion bill that we passed in Congress. Um, and there's a huge disconnect between the money that we're sending through the administration and the equipment that they need when they need it and where they need it on the front lines. So the thing is, we gave the money. We gave the go-ahead, but you're not able to get it forward. I see this big story in Politico how the red tape is stopping it from going all the way forward, and a lot of innovative uh, uh, weaponry is not getting through the Pentagon morass to get forward to see how it uh, performs on it uh, in battle. 100%, and that's exactly what we saw uh, speaking with the generals who came back off the front lines to meet with me and Dan to give us a, a firsthand report. Uh, they greatly appreciate all the aid that's being passed, but they don't. The, the money is not what they need. They need that money converted into equipment, and they need that equipment uh, sent to where it needs to be. And they're capped out right now. They told us at 20 kilometers. That's the the furthest artillery that they have. They have gotten a few of the longer range, but they got like five or or, or eight of them. I think they said uh, they need probably a hundred or so to match uh, to to go toe to toe with the Russians in the uh, the artillery slugfest. So it's not moving at the speed of war. And would you discourage that is from long distance, the Russians can stay back, hit with artillery, and the Ukrainians can't get out of the way. They're losing about 100 to 200 people a day. The Russians are still paying a price, but they're able to take land because they don't care about their people. They have more of it, and they got the long-distance artillery, even if it dates back to the 90s, correct? That's exactly what's going on. Um, they are winning an artillery slugfest. The Ukrainians are losing they were losing 100. Now we're getting reports of up to 200 a day and 1,000 injured. Um, and they just can't, they can't sustain those kinds of, of losses. So what, um, what, where, where do you see this going? The whole East gone? You think Odessa is in danger? I think Odessa is their ultimate goal. They want to they wanna landlock Ukraine. Uh, if they can take Odessa and cut off uh, the Black Sea access, that's where all Ukraine's commerce comes from, um, in and out of that port, 
uh, and basically strangled our economy. So when you hear uh, Russia saying that they want uh, some kind of resolution, all they're doing, all they're asking for is for Ukraine to cede the, the land that Russia's already won. Russia's going to take a breather. They're going to regroup, recalibrate, and they're going to finish the job at the next opportunity, uh, which is why Zelensky is begging President Biden, begging the West, do not fall for Putin's trap that he wants some kind of negotiated settlement. So there is a report that Vladimir Putin shaking during the award ceremony yesterday. It looks like he was having some type of trouble standing. <clears throat> Rumors about him having Parkinson's, cancer, dementia. You're a former FBI guy. What do you believe? Well, we haven't gotten any reports one way or another on that. Um, people can surmise what they want. Uh, but I will say, Brian, that um, you know I think everybody's got to brace themselves for uh, the situation in Ukraine getting much uglier than it is. Um, it pains me to say that. I lived there as an FBI agent. It was my last assignment. I grew very close with the people, very close with the, the governmental leaders, the parliament, the RADA. Um, they are fighting the best fight they can. Um, but Putin will stop at nothing. There's nothing that – nowhere he won't go uh, to finish a job in Ukraine. So as far as his health goes, I don't know. Um, I do know that you know he's, he's been suffering from mental illness for, for quite a long time, that has exacerbated under COVID. He's become increasingly distant, distrustful uh, of anyone in his inner circle, people that used to be in his inner circle. He has a Rasputin-type relationship with the head of the Russian Orthodox Church. He's got two different people testing every meal he eats. Uh, very paranoid. Um, and that's uh, that's feeding into a lot of his actions right now. Can, is this solvable? I mean, can you meet with General Milley and find out what's happening and what you can do? <clears throat> Honestly, I, I think Milley is much more willing to, uh, to to do the things that, that Ukraine needs more so than the administration. It's, I believe, Ron Klain. It's some of the left wing people uh, in the administration. Uh, and moreover, Brian, I mean, Biden is just not he's not a strong leader. He. He's not the kind of guy that's going to make that really tough decision and take the risk to come with it. Um, he's, he's an acquiescer. He's um, so far proceeded on military appeasement, economic cap measures, kicking half of the banks off of SWIFT, um, going halfway on sanctions, and changing his story You know, every other day when it comes to what he's willing and not willing to give to Ukraine, whether it be so-called offensive or, or defensive weapons. There is no distinguishment uh, on the battlefield right now when Ukraine's defending their territory. Frustrating, right? Very, very frustrating, Brian, because you you understand this better than, than anyone, Brian. And I, I again, the people in Ukraine, I want you to know this. They, they, they are aware of your reporting. They know you're keeping this in the news. Their biggest fear is that this is going to become uh, no longer front page news, uh, top of the fold uh, anymore. And that's what Putin wants. He wants us to go on the back page. He wants it to be ignored because then he's going to operate – in the dark. But Ukrainians remind us every time we go there, every time I talk to them, yes, they are fighting for Ukraine, but they're fighting our number two nemesis. Um, they're doing a lot of our fighting for us. And they, they appreciate the support, but they want to be honest with us about what the situation is on the ground and what they're getting, and what they're not getting. And it's squarely in the hands of this administration, Brian. I don't enjoy saying that. Uh, I want to support our president and our administration, no matter who they are. But this president, this administration is is missing a golden opportunity to, to take out Russia over the long term and put them in a generational hole, the likes of which we haven't seen since Ronald Reagan did it back in the 80s. And instead, uh, Sweden and Finland are hung up now trying to become members of NATO, <clears throat> which would be a titanic loss for them because of Turkey. What are we doing there? Well, you, you know, it's a huge problem, Brian. There, there is no mechanism in NATO to remove a country. 
So if there's a pro-Russian country that, that gets in, now Turkey was the last entry, I believe. Uh, Erdogan was not in there, so they were not pro-Russian at the time. I don't believe they were. But Erdogan has been cozying up to, to Putin in many regards, and that's a problem, right? I mean, if you have a, a NATO member country who is even a little bit supportive of a nation uh, like Russia and someone like Putin, and they're now going to block true democracies uh, like uh, Finland and Sweden who want to get in. NATO, they, they got to really take a look at that charter because does it also follow that Turkey could block an Article 5 invocation should uh, Vladimir Putin use chemical or nuclear weapons? It's something we're all concerned about. Yeah, I think everyone's concerned about it. But now that they're not losing, they probably that's probably less of a concern. I would love for General Milley to make a stand instead of being an analyst and saying this is what I would have done. I'd love for him to call a press conference, start leaking to the press, how upset the Pentagon is about the way this is going and how it could change. That's, how, that's what happened when Trump was in all the time. Uh, why they feel an allegiance to President Biden, who's already allowed them to be humiliated and all of us be humiliated in Afghanistan is frustrating. <clears throat> Congressman, uh, uh, I just I, I just hope you let's hear about this Pentagon higher up leak and then start putting pressure on him. Yeah, no doubt. And um, but I, and I just want to leave you with this. Keep, keep an eye on the situation there. It could get really, really ugly, really messy. Uh, Putin will there, there's nothing that he won't do to succeed in Ukraine. And that's a very dangerous situation. Absolutely. Congressman Brian Fitzpatrick, thanks so much. Thank you. You got it. Out of Pennsylvania. one 408 Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade bad news. Putin has consolidated his forces. That allows him to overcome some of these logistic challenges that he faced when he failed so miserably at the start of this thing. Now he's concentrated in this southeast corner. He's kind of closing a pincer movement around the center of that red zone that you just showed on the map. That's the bad news. The good news is this foot race to put the right weapons in the hands of the Ukrainians is continuing to move in the correct direction, and particularly the addition of artillery, surface-to-surface rockets. All of that will allow President Zelensky, by the way, speaking of character under pressure, will allow the Ukrainians to reach back and intercept some of the logistics that are flowing forward. So bottom line, look for a static land front, and I'll close with this. Look to the sea for the next big movement here. Ah, Recall that the Black Sea Fleet is blockading, Mm -hmm. and as a result of that, grain can't get out of Ukraine. The next big mission set to analyze and think about will be, should we, the West, open a corridor and escort that grain out? That could lead to a confrontation. Watch the sea. That's where things will go now. I think we have to. I mean, by law... That's in international waters. That was James uh, Stavridis, uh, the former Supreme Allied Commander. We have to open it up. You have about six or seven different African countries that will begin to starve to death. And they do not have the right to blockade international waters. So let's act like a tough guy because we are legitimately tough with superior naval forces. When we come back, John Castamatidis on the president's letter. 
the talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It's been very striking right now to see these oil companies uh, who have become almost ridiculously profitable. And you hear these oil executives on the record talking about how they're not going to increase production. Uh, why would they? They're doing great right now. It's why the president has called for a use it or lose it policy, where if you're sitting on these thousands of permits like these oil executives have been and you're not doing anything with them, then you're going to be held accountable for that. Now, so far, congressional Republicans have blocked action to do something like that. But we think that's another step that would make a difference among the many, many steps the president's already taken. Well, there's your secretary of transportation, Pete Buttigieg. Mayor of South Bend talking about really kind of threatening and blaming oil companies for the fact that in some places uh, at the pump, the price is about $10 a gallon in uh, in California. Believe that on average, we're just over $5 a gallon in the U.S., uh, up precipitously in just a year, almost 100 percent. With me right now is somebody that doesn't need this whole industry explained to him. He's at the top of it. Uh, he is uh, the CEO of United Refineries, also CEO of uh of Red Apple Media, which has uh, it, which owns WABC and WLIR among its other entities, and they're they're kind enough to carry our show. John Casamitidis, welcome back. Good morning, Brian. How are you today? Good. Were you surprised that the President of the United States wrote a letter, kind of calling out the oil and gas industries and telling you guys to refine more, or else or else he's going to take further action? Explain yourself if you're not going to. What's your reaction to that? Well, President Biden has declared war on North American oil companies, North American fossil fuel companies, with no alternatives. Uh, Washington has forced the, the, the situation where uh, the oil prices went from $55, $60 a, a, a barrel to $120, $125 a barrel. And all the price increases in food uh, and everything else comes from oil. Now, 70 percent, Brian, 70 percent of the factories run on diesel fuel, and there may be a a shortage coming. 70 percent of the trucks that deliver product to stores in the whole country run on diesel fuel. The price of diesel fuel has doubled, and we have a problem in our country. And I don't understand why he's begging Venezuela for more oil. He is going to fly to Saudi Arabia and beg them, beg them for more oil and pay them $120. He's going to beg Iran for more oil and pay them $120 a barrel. And why? We have all the crude oil we need in North America, in Alaska, in Canada. Why are we making North American crude oil the enemy, and you're using it from the foreign sources, paying them double the price? And when you pay them double the price, Brian, you know what's happening? You're taking the wealth of Americans and moving it over. You're taking their money out of their pocket and moving it over to the pockets of the Iranians, the Saudi Arabians, right. the Venezuelans, the Russians, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But John, Nobody understands it. But here's what he's saying. In the letter, he says the price of gas at the pump, uh, last time the, uh, the price of oil was $120 per barrel, uh, the price of gas was 425 He says the reason why it's higher now and 75, 75 cents higher is diesel and uh, prices are now 90 cents higher. He says it's because refineries aren't refining oil uh, and gas 
uh, at a greater rate because you want to maximize profits. Is that indeed the case? He doesn't have a clue. He has no clue. And then I guess the reason they put him in, in writing so that they, the White House can put it out the way the White House wants to put it out, not necessarily the way the president wants to put it out. So in other words, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very disturbed about it, and I'm very, very concerned about it. And, and uh, look, we lo- we all love America, and right now, uh, I was on a Maria Bartiromo's show last week, and we said that if we don't open up the spigots in North America and provide, we can provide 15 million barrels a a, a day in North America, Canadian, United States. And we're not doing it, and we're only providing 11. Why are we begging the foreigners for half a million barrels? I mean, it's just nonsense. And if we don't reduce the price of oil, which is the problem, you know what's going to happen? They're increasing the price. They're increasing interest rates. Today, the 30-year mortgage is over 6.23%. Right. I mean, who's going to you're going they're trying they're going to destroy America by increasing interest rates so much. It'll destroy the real estate industry. So when it comes to oil and gas, uh, why is the refinery capacity down? What, what would it take to start drilling more for not just John Casamitidis, but for Shell or BP or somebody else? We we have no shortages. You know why? The product comes into a pipeline. Uh, from Canada. Canada has zero shortages. Zero shortages. The Alaska has a 2 million uh, uh, barrel a day pipeline that goes into the United States. And you know how much we're using, uh, Brian? How much? 400,000. Is that scary? And yeah. now, you, now I'm going to give you the reason. The, the White House says, why aren't you drilling more? Why aren't you doing X, Y, and Z? Well... Let's talk about the other departments. There are restrictions from the other departments of the federal government, EPA, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that don't, uh, that don't make people feel warm and fuzzy about spending money in the oil industry. When, when the president of the United States says we're going to destroy the oil industry or, or when he says that we're going to have all electric cars by 2030, who's going to invest money in the oil industry? Nobody. Now, uh, and, but, but I'm going to give you they... one more secret okay, that nobody ahead. knows. All right. I was at a big bank meeting. I was at a big bank meeting on Monday. And one of the high, high ups, I won't mention the name of the bank, but one of the high up to, to bankers, they're, they're requiring the big banks to come up with, a, with a, an officer on how they're going to reduce their loans to oil companies. Do you hear what I just said to you? They're they're requiring the big banks to reduce the amount of money that they're lending to oil companies and oil-related companies. So, you know, what are you going to do? Are you going to pay for it in cash because you can't borrow? See, this is an important point. For the last uh, for the for the last few years, all these major investment firms have been discouraged. Uh, about uh, been told don't don't invest in a lot of these woke companies don't invest in fossil fuels it's bad for the world bad for the country that's not where the that's not where we want to be headed we want to be heading toward clean energy so how are you supposed to finance these uh these uh these permits and these leases uh if there's nobody investing 
So investing goes down, so the drilling uh, is lessened, and all of a sudden they're saying, where's the drilling? We need capacity. Stop uh, reaping all these profits. The American people are paying too much for gas. So they want to hurt your company and then villainize, uh, vilify your company for not pumping more and make you guys the bad guys. Whereas late as last yesterday, you're finding out that banks are still having trouble uh, lending to you guys because they're getting pressured by the government. They're getting the banks are getting pressured by the government. Uh, we're not going to look at you favorably uh, if you're lending money to fossil fuel companies. I mean, they're, they're destroying, and interest rates are going up. The 30-year mortgage is up. They're trying to destroy America, guys. Enough is enough. You know what I told? Tell, tell all your Democratic senators, enough is enough. Don't don't destroy America. So, so uh, John Casmatidis, our guest, who's been in business uh, for years and knows, knows all 50, about I'm a CEO for 52 years, so I must be getting old. Right. So have you ever seen an environment like this, John? No, not, not when, when the American, the, uh, our, our America, our United States is the enemy, and we're favoring the rest of the world. And we're moving the money from the United States. We're moving it to, to all over the world. It makes no sense. He says he's going to use the Defense Production Act. If you guys don't act, and you're in the, you're in the refinery business, if you don't act, he's going to use the Defense Production Act to make you act. Do you know what, what he could actually make you do? Are you concerned about this? I have no clue. I don't think he has a clue. Well, we're about to find out. Somebody, somebody, somebody is telling him what to do, uh, Brian. Um, he says he's released the oil reserve already. Uh, he says he expanded access to E15 gas, which makes no sense because now we're burning uh, uh, corn, putting corn into our tanks. So he says, I do that, and I'm willing to take other steps. And we know he's going to Saudi Arabia in two weeks. That's one of the steps he's going to be making. You know why he's going to Saudi Arabia? Because they, they won't answer his phone call. Because <laughs> he vilified that you country. Can't make it, you, you can't make it up. Look, look at the president of Mexico wouldn't even go visit him after the request. What's going on in our country? The Democratic senators better stand up for America and not stand up for the party. And that's what I'm saying out there. Well, I mean, There's you, a lot of common right. sense. Do you think you can get to Senator Schumer? He knows who you are. Senator Schumer knows where I stand. Got it. John Castamatidis, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. Yep. And, uh, don't give up the faith. I won't. And don't forget, how do we get the Cats Roundtable on podcast? Uh, you go to catsroundtable.com or wabcradio.com, and, and, you, and you get all our podcasts. And, and it's, we have common sense solutions. And, uh, yeah, you make news every week. All right, uh, John Casamitidis, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. You got it. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. John Casamitidis weighing in it affects him directly. He's got a myriad of businesses, understands what good business is, and I'm really to a degree, I'm getting that he thinks somebody is actually sabotaging this country, and it might be from the the, the upper edges uh, of, of the men and women in charge. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. 
It's Brian Kilmeade. The economy has really been struggling lately. I saw that the, the stock market is now in its biggest freefall since the start of the pandemic. Right now, the ticker on CNBC is just showing the lyrics to Everybody Hurts. Uh, that's pretty funny. Uh, Jimmy Fallon uh, right, uh, moves right through. I heard he called out Fox the other day for not carrying uh, the, ja- the January 6th trial. Did he call them out or did he try to just make a bad joke? I didn't see it. You can't really tell the difference. Yeah, I yeah. mean, because it's so insincere. You know he's not like that. That's not even his personality. Do you really think he cares no. either way? I feel like he's felt pressure to be political since, you know, Trump got in and he never found himself again. Are you stunned that we don't hear more about late night TV? We remember the intrigue of Letterman, Leno, who's winning, who's losing, you know, who's going to be, uh, you know, who's going to be the late, late host and, you know, Seth Meyers and James Corden and uh, Stephen. Co- you don't hear anything about that anymore. Number one, they all get along. So there's no more rivalry. So number two is the numbers aren't big. No, but I mean, just I mean, how TV has changed, right? You don't hear anything about the like nightly newscasts either. I mean, that's total. They're irrelevant, essentially. Right. I mean, but they're getting six point eight million. You have the late night shows getting maybe two point two million. So then maybe that's uh, maybe I answered my own question is what you're saying? Could be. Right. But I mean, but yeah, I mean, they're they're not funny anymore when they're funny. You know, you see it. But when they're not funny, no one's talking about it. All right. We'll talk about that. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. We'll take some of your calls. The other thing that I have not talked about is it's not the biggest story in the country, but it kind of bothers me that people are just killing Phil Mickelson. I've only met a couple of times. I'm not saying that Phil Mickelson and I are great friends. But I just don't see every everyone's beating up on him for playing in Greg Norman's new Live League, which is backed by uh, – it's a golf league, a golf tour, started now. By the way, they're going to play at Trump courses. They're going to play at Doral. The PGA has walked away from Trump. Walked away at Doral. Uh, they're going to be over here in Bedminster. They're going to play tournaments here So it, at different Trump courses. How do you feel about Trump being barred the, the all of a sudden because he's a Republican president and not popular with uh, a lot of celebrities? He's – or the woke sports stars, they walked away from a lot of Trump courses. That cost them millions. This new live tour is found, uh, financed by the Saudis. So it's, they say it's Saudi sports washing. Uh, really? Uh, because if you don't want to watch the league, don't watch the league. But you have other people like Sergio Garcia in there. You have uh, Brooke, um, you have, uh, not Brooke Kepka, but you have, um, you have a few huge names. Uh, you have... Uh, well, you know, it's headed up by Greg Norman. You all, you also have, um, I'm trying to think of these other names. You have Lynch's in there. And yeah, well, who else has jumped over? So I would obviously have Mickelson. So you have about, uh, you have Dustin Johnson, who might be the top, one of the top five golfers in the world, or maybe the top three, but they're killing Mickelson. Why? Because he's very out there. He's got a, he's always uh, speaking his mind, but not an aggressive Charles Barkley, uh, Stephen A. Smith type way, but he's out there always making news. For example, it, it came out in news that he lost about $200 million when it comes to gambling. And they say, this is a pure money play. Among the people fed up with the talk about this is Brooks Kepka? Uh, he talked about uh, why he just wants to get back to playing in the U.S. Open. Cut 20. I'm ready to play U.S. Open. I think it kind of sucks, too. Y'all are throwing this black cloud over the U.S. Open. and I mean, it's one of my favorite events, and I don't know why you guys keep doing that. But, um, you know, the more legs you give it, the more, more you keep talking about it. I don't understand. I'm trying to focus on the U.S. Open, man. 
Like, I legitimately don't get it. I'm tired of the conversations. I'm tired of all this stuff. Y'all are throwing a black cloud on the U.S. Open. I think that sucks. I actually do feel bad for him for once. I mean, it's a situation. We're here to play, and you're talking about some event that happened last week. Well, there's events going to be going on now for the next foreseeable future. I know, but you can't drive a car looking in the rearview mirror, can you? Right. Good point. Uh, among the other people who talk about it just being a money play is uh, Justin Thompson. Uh, Justin Thomas, cut 25. Selfishly, I don't want anybody to leave. You know, I mean, I've, I've talked to some of my peers that have asked me questions, and I don't know probably as much as others, but I'm like, you got to do what's best for you or what you think is, is best um, for your career. I'm like, but selfishly, I don't want you to go. That's, that's how I kind of end any phrase or any, any conversation that I'm having with somebody about it because at the end of the day, I'm not their parent. I'm not, you know, the person that's making their decisions. All I can do is plead my case. But everybody out here is a grown-up. They can make their own decisions. And they are. And the PGA is pushing back. And I'm just wondering how much it's their own self-preservation that's doing it. The European Tour has taken Saudi money. They also have a Saudi tournament. Uh, there was uh, a lot of people don't know it, but FIFA is going to be playing in Qatar. I'm a big soccer guy, but Qatar uh, makes it illegal to be gay. If you've ever seen the way the government set up, they basically use slave labor to make their stadiums. A lot of them died making those stadiums. Uh, Ping Titleist Nike Callaway do huge business in China, uh, who happens to be running a genocide camp for Uyghurs who happen to be Muslim. And uh, through the UAE and Saudi Arabia, uh, they do huge business. So all these great companies or these big companies seem to have no problem taking Saudi money. But when they start coming up with a rival league, they get upset at Greg Norman and others. We'll see where this goes. To me, it's more USFL, NFL. It is more XFL, NFL, more ABA, NBA than it is Saudi money uh, being the issue, especially when you know the president in two weeks is going to go over there and ask them to pump more oil. And when the Abraham Accords were brought a degree of peace to the Middle East and recognition for Israel, that was done leveraging Saudi Arabia using their help to make it happen. So at times we use them. And at times we don't. But I don't think it's good to to drag Greg Norman and Phil Mickelson through the mud because you decide that they're not worthy to defend. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.